welcome back to Shelter Island, the podcast where we shoot the shit and compare the lives of a Brit and a Yankee. It's Mason Coleman here, and of course, I'm joined by my good friend from across the pond, Jack Heimowitz. Jack, how are we doing this week? Uh, we're doing great this week. It's a lovely day here in Syracuse. How's it going over there? It's been okay. The, the week has been weather-wise, it's been a bit up and down in the UK, but other than that, it's been all okay. And once again, for our fifth, would you believe, our fifth episode of Shelter Island, and we are joined by another special guest of ours. Uh, this time he's from your land, Hymo, um, all the way from the United States, Ben Tao. Ben, how are we doing this evening? Glad to be here. We're doing pretty well. Uh, I'd like to say a little disclaimer to everyone out there. Um, I have said on nearly every single podcast so far that Hymo is the most American person <laughs> I have ever met. <laughs> on the record right now, I'm going to take that back. And I'm going to say, Tao, you are the most American person I've ever met. Really? That's surprising. I don't listen to country music, so I don't know how it could be possibly more American than Hymo. Taub is like the true, like, like 80s American, like, listens to American rock and, like, doesn't buy any imports from any other country because he's just that proud of his country. I, I gotta disagree with you on that, Haimo. I mean, England, <laughs> to be fair... I mean, America in America, for instance, like we have Hershey chocolate, but in England they got Cadbury, and I gotta say, gotta go with Cadbury, it's superior chocolate. It, I mean, All the right. man of the lies. I'll give him that. <laughs> Cadbury's, is, Cadbury's is top tier. Uh, at least we're talking about the real issue straight away, aren't we? <laughs> um, so, as always, um, cast our minds back to when we first met. I think it's always a good place to start and to to kind of uh, get to know each other a bit more. Um, so I got to know you from camp. Beep, 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 beep. There it is. There is the camp collection straight away. Uh, <laughs> but I met you in 2017 and you were a counsellor at the same as me. Uh, what was it like being a counsellor at Camp Chippenham? Uh, what was it like being a counsellor? It was pretty much like just, it was pretty much just being a kid except to get the boss around other kids when you think about it. <laughs> Like, pretty much, like, half the job, I mean, obviously, responsibility and whatnot, but the other half, you literally get to, like, just have fun. I mean, you get you get to, like, you get, I mean, for dodgeball, you get to throw, like, dodgeballs at the kids. And you're, like, in the <laughs> That was his favorite part. His favorite part is throwing dodgeballs at kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly thought, I thought the most rewarding experience of becoming a counselor, uh, because, of course, both... Uh, me and Taub were campers and then we grew into counselors. Um, my favorite part of being a counselor was getting to sit at the head table and like getting the food first, you know, and just like being in charge of the table. It was like I was the man of the table, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely know what you mean, especially, <laughs> especially even as a counselor, like a table, I got to, I got to decide, okay, which kid do I like more is going to get first. <laughs> <laughs> I had a counselor once that um, every time we got food, he he was a, fa a, a fairly larger man than you or I, uh, and every time the first round always went to him. So the whole plate was always for him. The first like five grilled cheeses were for him, and then the next <laughs> ones were for the campers. You know what I mean? Uh, of I, course, I, I exactly happened to me also. <laughs> of course, I never... I. I never did that as myself, um, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I mean, really, the best part of being a counselor, well, not really the best, it's really the interesting part, is to really get to know the other side of, like, a sleepaway camp. Right. Like, you know, having this responsibility and getting to, you know, kind of look back and like, oh, how did your counselors behave to you when you were a camper? Now, here you are being a counselor and you get to decide, like, what kind of counselor you want to be, which right. I found very interesting. Would you say it's... It's still got that fun factor. Of course, you both of you lads have kind of grown up throughout camp throughout the whole time. You've you've gone from being a kid there and then being a counsellor. Is it that added responsibility? Is it still fun for you, or is it just like a different kind of fun? It's definitely a different kind of fun. I mean, it's really really the part of this. You know, you're you're not just there like going just to have fun, but you're also there to like do your job. And that's like what and that's what a lot of people like especially like counselors like you know first year that's what they really have to realize is that like yes you can have fun there's all the perks of you know being at a sleepaway camp especially if you're international being in a foreign country you know being able to try all these things that you can never really normally try in a in a different public setting but it's also just uh, just the idea of responsibility and that like this is a it's a job like overall right it's it's also a different kind of fun in the way that like when you're a kid, you're like, ooh, I want to go to ceramics or I want to go play soccer for an hour, you know. But as a counselor, it's kind of like, oh, like I want to go see like how these kids react to ceramics or how these kids react to soccer. Or like I'm going to teach them what I know about uh, swimming or something. Or it's like even um, I would love to take the kids to radio because, of course – uh, Big up Mason, radio. <laughs> of course, Mason was the radio specialist, and uh, although I know nothing about radio, uh, <laughs> and even as Maybe a camper, one, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, even as a camper, I didn't go to radio much, but it was just like the fact that I got to like see Mason do what he does, um, and kind of just like he taught me as well. So it was also just like another kind of fun to see like my friends teaching me and like have a different dialogue. Absolutely, like there was a. Uh... Fun fact, when I was a camper, never did horseback riding. Never did horseback riding. Really? Pardon me. One thing I want to pause you on right there, okay? Mm -hmm. And I always find this baffling. This is a, it might be slightly off topic, okay? Mm -hmm. Americans, why do you call it horseback riding? Where else are you going to ride a horse? <laughs> <laughs> it's horse riding. You don't need to call it horseback riding. Well, in a way, <laughs> you are riding on a horse's back, hence horseback riding. Right, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Probably get, get it, granted, yeah, I, I get that. But where, where else would you ride a horse? That is like, not a question you should ask me, but I will get the answer for you. I will get the answer for you immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's always baffled my mind. Like, you call it horseback riding, and it's just like, well, yeah. State well, there's, really, isn't it? Well, there's also like camelback riding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Like, camels are scary to ride, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> They're scarier than horses. I can imagine. I can imagine Ben going through the pyramids of Egypt, pyramids of Giza, <laughs> on a camel, just gliding through. Well, that's what you do on birthright. You go on birthright. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what happened to me. My camel was not feeling it that day. He's like, get this, like, get this fucking American off my back. <laughs> or in this case, my hump. <laughs> my hump's Black Eyed Peas. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to the Black Eyed Peas.
<laughs> okay, wait. Uh, so, so just to kind of reel us back in, mm-hmm. um, Taub, you met Mason in 2017 as a counselor. Uh, I met you a decade before that. Indeed. Uh, which is strange to say it was a decade before 2017, which was, again, like four years ago. Oh, um, God. So it was my first year at camp and in 2007, uh, and you're a year older than me, so you were mm-hmm. in the sort of age group older than me. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really get a lot of, I guess, experience. Like hang, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, as we got older and we became waiters – uh, we became friends and obviously like our like friend group sort of morphed and we talked to the same girls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm wondering like, I guess what was your, what was like your first impression of Jack Heimowitz? My first impression. Hmm. Well, let's see. I thought he was kind of a dick. Nah, nah, just joking. Um, I mean, my first like impression of you, like obviously without this is like first without interaction. My first look, you was like, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, my- definitely, I definitely, I mean, before, before like we really got to know each other, I didn't really know you were like possibly the most American American I think I've ever met in my <laughs> Thank life. You. Thank you. <laughs> like country well, okay. music, had no idea. I mean, you weren't growing your hair and looked like a meth dealer back then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my first impression of you was, I don't know what year it was, but um, it was when for the talent show, um, what song did you get up and you did like an interpretive dance to? Oh, the robot. Yeah, I yeah. think that was. Uh, <laughs> I think that was. I think that might have been either two thousand seven or two thousand eight. <laughs> it was definitely one of those years. I was, in my, okay. I was in my dance phase back then. So, so every summer we have a talent show where any kid yeah. can do whatever they want, and you won't be turned away because every kid is talented in their own right. Um, so you go from people doing gymnastics to people doing stand-up to people doing what they learned in piano the year before school to people singing anything you name it. And then it. people doing gymnastics. Exactly, right. So <laughs> what what made you think I want to dance to that? What made me think oh, – wow, that's an interesting question. You know, I just – it's really – I have to say, Haimo, it's probably my – my swagger and my charisma. <laughs> I mean, the way that I handled the robot, the way I popped it and locked it. I mean, just made, it made all it made all the little kids and even all the counselors saying, "That kid's got moves." Like, am, I, am, I, am I seeing Kevin Bacon on Footloose? Like, what am I seeing? I must admit, I have seen Ben at a dance floor in some dingy old bars. And I must say, I agree with him. He has got some hella moves. I've seen Ben on top of the bar at Fanatics dancing. Oh, my oh God. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 give, oh. you give Ben Tal one pint of beer and he is off the rails. <laughs> I'm not going to confirm or deny that. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely confirm. <laughs> I, I remember just speaking of uh, talent show phases that we went through. Um, when I was probably in my younger years, so it might have been 2007 or 8 or something, I thought that I was good enough to try out for American Idol, as all young kids do, uh, and I I sang Alicia Keys. No music. What song? What song? Alicia Keys. If I Ain't Got You. 
Ooh, okay. Some people want it all. You know that tune? Yeah. Actually, Go funny you mentioned that high note. Funny that you actually mentioned that high note. I, too, also tried out for uh, the camp's version of American Idol, but my song was probably the polar opposite of what you sang during tryouts. What'd she go for? So the song I sang, so I believe it was 2010, and that year The Hangover was still a very big film. <laughs> and so I sang the song that uh, Ed Helms sang about tigers and Michelle Pfeiffer in a cat leather suit. Of course. <laughs> did, did you make it through? Unfortunately, I did not make it through. I didn't know. Maybe the judges had something against me. I don't really know. But I sang the hell out of that song. I will say that. Okay, going back to, to camp then. You, you both um, met as campers when you were young. And I remember a couple of episodes ago on the podcast, Jaime described himself of what he was like as a camper. And he said he was a small, chubby American kid at camp and always got into trouble. Did you get that perception of him? Or actually, the main question I'd like to ask you is, if Heimer was like that, what were you like? What would you describe yourself as a, as a camper? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question, to answer your first question, I didn't really perceive Heimer as like the fat, stubby, like American camper. No, I just, I didn't really look at people like that. Like, I mean, it's, well, what, I mean, it was, number one was obvious. I didn't really care. But two, I mean, like, as soon as I got to know Heimel, like, more, I realized, like, this guy is fucking good. But no, I didn't have that <laughs> thought at all, like, first impression. The second question asked for me, oh, man. I was definitely, let's say, put it in a nicer sense, peculiar. <laughs> I was definitely peculiar. Of all the words. <laughs> of all the words. I was a little peculiar. I was definitely oh, I'm like, Ben, and I'm peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> I, was definitely a, I was definitely a character. I wouldn't say I was the most athletic kid, like, in my division. Nor was I the most uh, streetwise kid in my division as well. But, yeah, character, but, but yes, character. I was character. Compared to what you are now, like, you're way more streetwise than anyone else in your division. What? Really? I would say so. Tao is mean on the streets right here. He knows all the knowledge. <laughs> I did... I got a hand to you, Haimo. I do agree with you on that. I do agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely, there were definitely like, I definitely, I mean, there was definitely, um, there were definitely times where, you know, when I was a counselor, a lot of international counselors, considering, you know, I was camper there too, a lot of international counselors, like a lot of like newcomers definitely asked me a lot of questions like, oh, what to expect, like from the kids, like all like, you know, like going out, like what are we doing, like like uh, divisions like everything pretty much from activities to like going out at monty on a saturday night pretty much it was it was it was all those questions that i've got asked i'm sure Haimo, you've been asked those questions too by a lot of uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think you you probably describe it better than anyone else can yeah <laughs> you know Oh, I'm going to take you on as well. And, and, and you know, uh, we asked our last guest, Connor Jones, this last uh, time that we had him on. And because you just brought up Monty. Uh, so I'm just curious as to is there a memorable Monticello, New York story that you can pinpoint? Uh, oh, God. 
Oh, there definitely man. is, isn't there? there? I mean, definitely is an understatement. There's like an absurd amount. I remember, I actually remember like the first time, it was the last night at camp in Monty. This is 2015, so Haimo was a CA that year, so he wasn't allowed to go out of Monty. So it was me and a bunch of my friends, American friends. We were all gonna, you know, we were all gonna be like, all right, we're all going out to Monty. It's gonna be our first time. And one by one, everyone started backing out. And it's just me and my one friend. You guys may know him as Aiko. Oh, yes. So pretty much Aiko wasn't feeling it. And so we drive up to the Montean and Fanatics. I don't, I don't even know what the hell that bar was called back then. There's so many names. It's so pretty much Aiko's like, I, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back home. Like, I don't think I want to like do this. Like you, like you want me to leave you here or you want to like, you know, just come up to Livingston with me. And the bull and the boldest thing I've ever said that time was like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. And so he just dropped, just dropped me off, had like most of my stuff with me. And I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> and from that night, I mean, it was like, it was like an open book for me because that year I didn't have a fake ID or anything. So I didn't really like go to like friends or any places. And so luckily, like I got in, like they didn't ID or anything. So I got in and it's just like the craziest, it's the craziest fucking thing ever. If cut I describe it. Roll the tape. <laughs> cut, cut. Yeah. All I'm going to say was that it was the most insane night like ever. And of course, they, of course they, they let you in without an ID because you said that you weren't going to drink and you didn't drink at all that night, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, you were drink, drink, drinking water all night, weren't you? Yep, I was drinking some water and a little bit of Sprite as well. <laughs> and then I think from then on, like, Tao became probably, like, the most friendly counselor ever. Like, in terms of American counselor versus foreign counselor relationship, you know, there's yeah. the, there's always this stigma that sort of the American counselors, especially the, the past campers, kind of stick to their own. And then, like, the foreign counselors kind of are just... Like, why don't you ever hang out with us? But I, I would say me and Taub have been pretty good at sort of integrating ourselves into that scenario. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'd say, Paimo, you more than me, actually. Because um, 2014, a lot of years definitely, like, hung out with, like, you know, the Americans. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, like, as I was getting older, as the years were going by, I, you know, hung out more and more internationals. And I'm just like, these guys are fucking fun. Like, <laughs> why haven't I doing this before? Oh, <laughs> uh, my father just came into the room. Hey, Johnny boy! So to brighten up the mood, uh, hey. brighten up the doing? mood. Get guest guest speaker Jonathan Taub. You gotta put these on. Hello. How Hello, we doing? How we- <laughs> uh, I was about to eat dinner, but I guess I'm here now. <laughs> we'd like to welcome everyone to uh, Shelter Island, the podcast. We have. Uh, John Taub on with us right now, um, the original uh, Camp Chippenaw Taub master. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. And, and just so you know, I've actually uh, been to Shelter Island. I don't know if you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, I've never been myself. So It's my... a beautiful place. And uh, I've, I ran several of the Shelter Island 10K races. Really? In my, in, in my younger day. Yes. Okay. That my um, my my grandmother lives in Shelter Island pretty much all her oh. life. Um, it's a very nice place to have a house. Yeah. <laughs> camp is who you're there with. 
Right. And and having all the activities are great, but if you're having fun anyway, you're having fun. You know, we, you know, I don't know if you remember, you know, we as waiters, we lived in the tents uh, on the concrete platforms. It was the late 70s. So every council was either smoking weed or taking quaaludes at camp. I mean, it was, was, you know, in the tents, you know, back then, you know, we didn't have to go to evening activity. A lot of everybody would, you know, smoke, smoke weed, you know. There, one of the guys, an older guy, went home for the weekend and brought back, you know, all these smaller, uh, those what they're called fifth bottles of, of booze. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'd go into the latrine and we'd do shots out of the caps of the bottles, chasing <laughs> with water, and we'd show up at the old with canteen was, and the waitresses would be like, "Do not go ne- near Stan at all because you guys reek of booze." And, and it was crazy. I mean, we, it wasn't like no one was like, you know, abused it. It was just a thing. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, for me, I got taken in as one of the group instantly. And, you know, I would like to say that that was like sort of the end of a, the golden era, you know, the end of the 70s, 80s, because after that, when I left, I was a dishwasher with DT in mm-hmm. in 81 and after that year is when it stopped being like 98 percent american counselors you know they started to bring in foreign counselors um i remember when i was there the only english counselor was the, the soccer counselor oh wow yeah so they they didn't hire foreign counselors at all not back then no it was most of the counselors were people who had gone to chip right so there were all these legends and stories and everybody knew the, you know, the lore of Chippenaw and, and everything about it. So from that point of view, it was fantastic. And the other thing is, you know, when Ben went to college, he waved goodbye and that was it because he, <laughs> he, he'd, been used to, he'd been used to getting dumped off, you know, for eight weeks. Right. And this was, this was just a – and as I always like to say, college is camp with homework. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and less adult and less adult supervision, which is a benefit. So, Mason got dumped off at university and cried all night. <laughs> well, you know, from what yeah, I know, yeah. you know, from the what I know of Mason, he is a sensitive lad. <laughs> you know, but, but to his advantage and to your massive disadvantage, Haimo, he knows his music. Oh yeah, okay. So, <laughs> there we go. So, but oh, here, that, but that's the other thing, is that the thing about Chippenaw, is that once you're there, or if you go to an alumni thing, the age difference doesn't matter. Right. You know, mm-hmm. people talk to me who are young and older guys. You know, everyone just gets along, and it doesn't matter how old anyone is. I mean, you've been out on you know the alumni weekend on the nights. And no one cares if somebody's 50 or someone is 30 or someone is, tw- you know, it's just everyone's together because we're all chipping off. Right. And everyone has a good time. Right. Just like I'm, ha- just like I'm having a good time now. <laughs> <laughs> but on, but on that note, I'm going to turn the microphone back to my son and <laughs> uh, go about my business. And as you know, I'm always here if you need me to chat about anything. 
Thank you. So, thank, thank you very much, much for joining us. Have, have a great weekend. I love you both, and I hope to talk to you soon. Of course. Have, have a good weekend. Soon, man. Thank you very much. What a bloke. What a bloke. <laughs> All right. Tal, I, I that just, was I, nice. I just, uh, yeah, I'm just going to put it on record. Your dad is an absolute legend. Oh, thanks. Like, top bloke. Top, top bloke. <laughs> You're just raising it. I, I'm sure that will boost his ego a lot when I tell him. <laughs> You all know what time it is. It is, of course, beer of the week. And I don't think we've actually all gone for matching beers that, uh, on this podcast. We've set out with the intention of all having the same beer five episodes in and we still can't do it. And it's, it's the same again this week. We've all got a different one. So, uh, Ben, uh, tell us, what have you gone for this week? So, the beer I got this week is a Pilsner Radburger. I believe I'm saying this right. It's a German beer. I don't think oh, I've wow. really had this beer a lot. So, so I've, I've, I've been yeah. to Germany before, and I've never seen that about. I yeah I, I've also been to like Munich like too when I was abroad, and I don't recall seeing this beer. I, mean, I was prowling the streets in a, <laughs> <Is> an imposter. <laughs> yeah, I was prowling the streets in Springfest. I don't recall seeing this beer. <laughs> Hi, man. How about you? Uh, so I went along with the. Uh, German theme, uh, and straight from St. Louis, Missouri, <laughs> a room temperature Michelob Ultra that I found somewhere in my closet. <laughs> Lovely. So I've um, stick. I'll say sticking with the German theme. Um, I thought this was German, but it's not, and it was like hidden right at the back of the, my beer fridge in the shed. Uh, this is called. Wolfas Engelmann. That's as German as I would have. And it, well, it says, and it says Bohemijos Tamusius, and I believe this is a Lithuanian beer. Wow. Interesting. How exotic. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's a dark beer as well. Um, and it's, really got, it's got it's it's got its own little tin foil on the top. It looks like a Ooh, a fancy. beer version of a San Pellegrino. Wow. Okay. Fancy. You're going on Right, so, I'm going all out for the fifth episode here. <laughs> Are we doing it'll a toast? Before? Actually, yeah, it'll, it'll help if we can actually peel the label off. <laughs> right, Are let's crack these open, boys. Are we going to do a toast? or? Yeah, we'll do a toast. Alright. So, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you choose the toast. Alright. Boys, uh, there's an old speech. There are small ships and big ships, large ships... And circular ships, but the best ships, my friends, are friendships. And as the Jewish people say it, Lahayim. 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 What you said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, boys. I would say this tastes delicious, but it's a room temperature Michelob Ultra that I got out of my closet. Ooh, look that at this. This one looks very dark. Oh, wow. Mine is a uh, nice, uh, nice light gold. You guys got beer. all nice beer cups and everything. Yeah, look, we, we've both got Czech beer glasses. I've got Star of Prime and he's got pills in our aqua. Wow. All right, cheers. Tell me how your, your beers are, lads. That's incredible. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm not really a beer snob, but I gotta say mine's good as well. It's definitely bitter, but not too bitter. It's not, let's just say it's not a Bud Light. Not at all. Like <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Taste test out of ten, Ben. Uh, for me, it's definitely it's definitely very light. It goes down smooth as well. I think it tastes a little citrus in it, perhaps. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a pro at uh, like I'm not a pro at examining uh, the taste of a beer, but. Would I have this beer again? Absolutely. If I had to give it a one out of ten, I give it a sexy eight. <laughs> a specifically a sexy eight. <laughs> Can't go what about wrong. you, Mason? Uh, this one, I'd, I'd definitely give it a, a, an eight point five. This is strong. Wow. <laughs> it might be your highest to date. Yeah, that is that's unbelievable. How about you, Jaime, for your for your warm beer? Warm beer makes me feel at home, <laughs> like I'm in a like I'm in a fraternity basement. So, just I'm for to think what that basement's like, mate. Bloody hell! <laughs> just for a good old time's sake, I'd have to give it like a six point five. Okay. You know, a, a cold Michelob Ultra, I'd probably give like a seven point five. So welcome back to Shelter Island and the reason why we've decided to get Ben on for our special fifth episode of the podcast is we believe he has a wonderful story to tell and it's something that's touched many of our hearts over the last couple of years. Uh, for those of you that don't know Ben and don't know his story, we'll go into it in a little bit more detail later on, but um, we'd like to talk about his younger brother Casey and Casey was a fantastic kid. Um, really inspiring person. Uh, I just want to kind of go to you, Ben, and just share a little bit uh, about your brother. Um, so yeah, so Casey, you know, younger brother, younger of uh, the se- second youngest, yeah, second youngest of four. Um, you know, great kid, great brother, you know, someone I could always talk to. I mean, very intelligent, like, lo- like had a passion for history, sports of like and when i say sports i mean all sports like he would know like rec he would know like records of how many teams like you know won like a world series or like a, you know a certain player like his stats especially soccer like how many goals how how many how many penalty kicks i mean how many points he scored for his team i mean he was incredible like it's if i had i mean if there were like if there were words to describe him it'd be too many words like it would take like 10 minutes because he was just fucking incredible if you could cast your mind back then to when, say, when, when the diagnosis was, how did that feel for you as a brother? Um, well, to put it bluntly, um, I felt, you know, fucking shitty. Um, you know, I was, like, scared, shitty, like, I mean, just, you know, just and clueless even, you know, despite, it's just, like, how the hell this happened? Like, what do you do? And it's, like, very... Like random yet horrifying moment you find out. I think it's one of them situations where you know you can never plan for, and it's and it's just a tragedy whenever it does hit. But as a brother, how did you, how did you support Casey through that? You know, I mean, from from the outside, from from seeing uh, and hearing things from from many close friends. You know, you've done a fantastic job as testament to you as a person. But what stuff did you do to to, to help them get by? Um, you know, just, I mean, just really treat it like, 
I mean, it's treated like, you know, this, like, lingering, like, dark cloud isn't, like, all over him, all over me, like, all over my family in general, just, like, 24-7, you know, like, go life, go life as life should go on, you know, just try to have fun, keep you entertained, you know, make each other laugh. It was, it was, it was a difficult, absolutely, like, it was hard not to think about it, hell, it was hard not to even fucking dream about it, but, um, you know, I, I tried my best, and I like to believe that, that everything, like, I did, like, had purpose. How did you go about your own business, uh, as an individual, at the end of the day, of course, you needed to be there as a brother for him. You needed to be there to support him and the rest of your family. But at the same time, that must have had an impact on you as an individual. Absolutely. Um, well, I was, you know, like when the diagnosis happened, he was going through like chemo. I don't want to make it dark, but yeah, he was going through chemo. When he was going through chemo, when he was struggling, I was, you know, in Poughkeepsie at Marist College, you know, studying as a college student. So, um, I mean, the, I mean, the idea, the fact that, you know, my little brother was going through like such intensity in his life that no other like teenager his age should go through. And it's, I mean, it was hanging, you know, it was hanging around me like every day. Like it was, again, like, like I said before, it was impossible like not to, you know, think, you know, he got this huge elephant in the room. Not to, it's hard not to, but, you know, I try my best because, I know, like that's what Casey wanted. Um, he, you know, I, I did. I, my parents and my little brother they didn't want me to like, you know, be miserable like college. You know, always struggling to go through. You know, like this, this like such this dire situation. But, but you know, I like I said before, I I def, I think I tried my best. You know, I tried to you know try to have fun, be optimistic. You know, look at the bright, look at the brighter things, even if they're no matter how small or big they might be. Um, you know, I mean, having you guys, having camp people, like my dad said before, I mean, I was obviously a massive help. Like all my friends that I've had, you know, just and, you know, just kind of, you know, just kind of getting distracted a bit definitely helped me out go through this tough time in my life. It's definitely something that so many people can't imagine everyone always thinks it can't happen to me and i suppose until it does you know i think your world just turns upside down what was that like for you i'm sure everyone thinks oh this can't happen to to, to my brother yeah and when that moment hit like what was that like so like before even a moment here i was definitely having it was hard not to think about that like, i was definitely having fears that this was going to be the end result, which, you know, every night I was like, just re- I was just like thinking to myself, like, please, like, don't let this be true. Don't let this be true. And the next thing you know, it fucking happens. I mean, before, even before that, I knew he was in the hospital, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, they actually, the guy that brought me to the hospital actually didn't tell me anything. And I saw my parents and like, like, you know, my relatives, like a lot of, you know, older people that Casey knew and our family knew. And I was like, it was too real for me. Like, I, I'm honestly surprised that I went back to camp. Like after that, but my parents are like, "You got to go back. Like, we, you can't. We don't want you like, you know, seeing through this. We don't want you like, fucking crying every night." 
and you know when it the day it happened it was extremely unreal um they brought me and it was at camp too they brought me to the admin and i mean the room was just dead silent it was was, you know michael sherry a bunch of other admin um o'shea was there too dt and everyone was just silent and it was just this ominous feeling and i was like i started like freaking out i'm like what the fuck is this like what what the fuck's happening and I get the call, you know, my dad calls and yeah, he told me that he passed away and I fucking, I fucking like broke down. Like I, yeah, it was the worst fucking day imaginable. Like it's hard, it's hard to fathom. Like, I don't know if anyone can, I didn't feel, I may, I may be wrong, but I don't think anyone, you know, anyone can't, anyone can ever experience what it's like. So, you know, lose a relative until it fucking happens. And it's that saying you definitely heard, like, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Which, unfortunately, definitely rings true to me. And, but on the weirdest note that day, I mean, I was, I mean, the whole camp pretty much found out. And a lot of campers, I mean, all of his friends were second year waiters at the time. I mean, they all got told the news and they were all, I mean, they were all just speechless and just heartbroken. Council, I mean, everyone, Michael, Sherry, DT, everyone was heartbroken. And it was, it was, and everyone was just crying. And it was just me, Casey's friends and other counselors that, you know, I told about you guys too. I mean, we all, I mean, it was just like a, it was just a crying, fe- it was just a crying fest, you know, you know, to in a lighter sense, but in a way, it was definitely very. It was like in in that sense, it was bittersweet because it really showed how many pe- how much how many people cared for Casey, and how much he meant to not only just the counselors, but even to like campers. And when I say campers, I don't mean like his friends, but like, you know, to younger campers that Casey had interaction with before his untimely passing, which I thought was really beautiful because it really just shows a sense of community and that this camp is definitely more than just a sleepaway camp. I mean, we sang the Alamada like that day when it happens and it felt like it was the realest, like it was the realest time I've ever like sang it ever in my life. It's something that touched all of our hearts. I think, Jaime, for, for you, what, what was that moment like when, you know, we all came together um, in, in support of Ben and, and, and in tribute to Casey? I I mean, I, I think Ben said it best that I, I, I think it just proves that, like, the gravity that camp has um, on on everyone. Um, and it just proves that, uh, like, we, we are Chip and all, like, we are a family. Um, and just the, the 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 support that even people that didn't know Casey that well or counselors that had only been there for that summer um, the amount of support that was just poured in um, just meant so much I think to, to everyone um, especially people that have been there sort of a while and have kind of seen uh, like him grow up and see the, like just like you do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ben, like when, when you think back of, of, of Casey and um, previous memories, is there any kind of standout 
memories that you have with them like of course I'm sure there, there's so so many but is there anything that you know when you do think of Casey like you look back on and on fond happiness and fond memories of him oh uh, yeah like it's it's like you said it's definitely hard to think of a you know there's so many great memories that I've had with him and you know when we were at camp together we definitely bonded a lot closer but there was one night in particular that really you know still catches my attention to this day it was actually his first year and he was extremely, you know, nervous about, you know, going to sleep with camp. He wanted to go like hundred percent, but he was, he was still extremely nervous and he was always having like doubts like, Oh, I think I want to go home. I think I want to go home. And it was like the last night where normally like, you know, we would have like this thing called banquet for those who don't know, it'd be like a giant, like, you know, end of the summer celebration dinner. And after that, it would be, uh, be like a, you know, like a, What's the, how would you describe it? Like, it would be like ropes, like spelled out Chippenhall in a given year. So it would would spell out Chippenhall nine. And, you know, we light the ropes, you know, the sign like burns. We all sing the Alamada and we all, everyone's like hugging and stuff like, oh, I'm going to miss you and everything. But Casey came out to me and he was like in tears and he was like, I don't want to leave this place. And, you know, he's just hugging me and crying and I start crying and it's like this, this bond of, you know, just really showed that this place really brought me and my little brother Casey like together even more than we could have possibly thought. And it was like very, it was very beautiful and I, I will like never forget it. And on the positive note on that memory, there was uh, someone who was, you know, trying to interrupt us. And I just yelled, like, leave us alone. We're having a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to briefly move on a bit to kind of the impact of, of, of Casey and after. Um, you know, of course, I obviously I left that summer. Jaime went back to college. So we all left and everyone kind of went back to, to their normal lives. Whereas for you, returning to a normal life was completely different. It's something that was completely alien to you. You know, at the end of the day, your little brother wasn't there anymore um what was life like um, initially as soon as you got back without Casey being there um so it was definitely obviously weird like it was you know like part of your family like unfortunately isn't there anymore and so like and, and you still can't it's hard to accept even today for me it's still a little hard it's definitely hard to accept that you know someone you grew up with your whole life someone you've been born into like you've shared everything with is gone and so that year especially it was obviously very hard for me um you know it's like how do i how do i go back to a normal life how could i possibly be happy like period and it was definitely it was definitely a long road. It was definitely a struggle. Like college, um, you know, I, I spoke to a therapist. Uh, even in college, I spoke to. Um, I went to this group like in college that year where it was about like people who've lost loved ones. It was like a coping group, which really helped me out a lot. And you know, just being away from home uh, surprisingly helped me as well too. Because I mean, how I mean, it just being home would just remind me too much of Casey, and it would just depressed the shit out of me but luckily you know I 
you know, I kept, I kept, I don't want to say moving on, but I kept, I kept moving forward with my life. I kept, you know, going about business. I normally go, I kept hanging out with friends. I'd always try to socialize. I'd, you know, like go out to bars, like go to parties with my friends, contact you guys, like whenever mm-hmm. you guys are free. Um, you know, focus on work that I had for school, and you know, talk to my parents, see how they're doing. I would just try to be as resilient and as positive I could possibly be, because that's what Casey would have wanted. Casey would have wanted me to be fucking down the dumps like all day every day he would want me to live my life because unfortunately he couldn't live his to the fullest and that was really one of the reasons why i even want to go abroad because casey like always wanted to travel like his make a wish you know me him my father went to england for a week and there was just so much of the world he wanted to see and so i kind of owed that to him to really continue on to what he wanted to do because he unfortunately could never do it. Just, just, just for me, please, Ben. Um, any, do you have any kind of final memories of of Casey? And um, being just be brutally honest, how often do you think of him? And um, and yeah, like how, how does it make you feel when you think about him now? So, you know, early in the aftermath of his passing, you know, whenever I think of him, like obviously, I think of. The good, the good times, but unfortunately, you know, the bad times as well. And, you know, I felt like very emotional, mostly in negative ways, unfortunately. Like, I'd be crying, I'd be, like, you know, in denial. I mean, any thought, any negative thought you could really think of, I was definitely like that. But, you know, as time went by, every time I thought of him, it would really only focus on the positive memories, the positive things. In just knowing that you know I'm you know I still think of him it's definitely a, it's definitely it's definitely great for me to think that like you know I'll never I'll never forget him like even if I'm like 50 60 like I'll never like there'll never be like a day where I do not think about him even if I do think about him, if I get upset in a weird way it's kind of beautiful because it shows that like you know I'm alive that you know, I cared about, I, I have someone that I've cared about and I always continue caring about. It really just shows, like, the bond that me and I have always shared. And regardless if I'm sad or happy about it, it just, it's just showing me that, like, I know I'm alive, I know I'm human because this one person I care about, I'll always care about, even in his passing. We always do this section um, on all of our podcasts. Um, we used to give it to Jaime for quote of the week. Last week we gave it to Connor. Uh, this week, of course, we'd like to, to kind of dedicate it to you. Um, I don't know if you had time to prepare one for us or anything, but <laughs> just. Um, not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm going to do a quick Google search. <laughs> I think I'm too lazy to think I'm uh, not as creative to uh, create my own thing, but. Uh, I got you part of the part of the journey like or part of the race isn't just about 
finishing the race. It's about the journey. It's about it's about the stride. It's about the effort you do. Because when you eventually finish that race, you want to look back and you don't want to think like, oh, like that was quick. You want it to be as memorable and as long as possible. That way it gives the race more meaning. Ben, that is absolutely, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. For a Google search, that's very good. <laughs> that wasn't even a Google search, actually. I just oh, no. Yeah. Wow. No joke. You, no pushed joke. The, yeah, you pushed the boat out right there, haven't you? Yeah. I just looked it up and I'm like, all these quotes are weak. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do appreciate the compliments. I do appreciate the compliments. <laughs> So that brings an end to the fifth episode of the Shelter Island podcast. A very touching end to that one. Ben, I'd like to say thank you so much for sharing your story there. Any last words before we go? Um, anybody want to contact me? Feel free. Got nothing else I'm doing. And um, live your life to the fullest. I know that's a very corny, that's another corny quote, but, you know, just try to, don't even even if you're struggling to be happy you can always you can always try always try to be happy no matter like what situation you're in there's always a small positive little thing at the end of the day that you can always think back on amen to that hi man I honestly I honestly I think I I think Taub said it best um I hope everyone has a good weekend um thank you for listening to us continuously um and yeah stay tuned Thank you guys, go well.